Good morning and welcome to First Church in New Knoxville. The rose on the altar is in honor of Karen and Larry Niemeyer who are celebrating 51 years of marriage today. Happy anniversary. We also have a special congratulations to our youth pastor, Tori, who this week uh, got engaged to Jake Bradigan at a youth group. So congratulations to both of you. And also today, the New Knoxville Rangers Athletic Boosters are hosting their annual pork chop dinner today from 11 to 1 at the American Legion. Tickets are still available at the door. Please stand and uh, participate in the call to worship. Let us worship God. Let us confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Let us call upon our true God, believing him in our hearts, confessing him with our mouths, worshiping him with in spirit and in truth. Now let us sing 10,000 Reasons.
While the children come forward for the children's chat, please take time to greet your neighbor. I'm over here. Come on. You're going to want to see. Come here. Mrs. Roba at you again. So I brought something really cool today. Check them. What do you think? Pretty cool, right? I love these shoes. They are my favorite shoes in the whole wide world. But I have a problem. What's my problem? What's my problem? They're not tied. It turns out, I, I know I, I'm a teacher and stuff, but I have 347 students, and all of them know that Mrs. Rohrbach doesn't tie shoes. I, 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 I'm rotten at it. I keep trying, and I grab my laces, and I pull them tight, and then I do the roundy, roundy, and I make a bunny ear. But every time I go around, it never pulls through. I can't get it. Oh, I have to make smaller ones. Okay, okay. So I do bunny ear, I go roundy, roundy, and then I pull it. Nothing. Oh, I'm not pulling the bunny ear. Okay. Um, so I go roundy, 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 and then, wait, I gotta, I gotta make a little bunny ear. And, and then I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I'm so close. I'm so. Oh, I got one. I got one. You know what? Because you helped me, I got better at tying my shoes. Don't tell my students. They really don't like tying their shoes. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Kinders. So, so because you helped me, I got better. So our our verse in in Philippians, uh, either this week or next week, somewhere in Philippians three. Paul tells us it's really, really hard to be a Christian. It's really, really hard to be a Christian. And we're not always going to get it right. And it's really hard to learn to tie my shoes. It really is. I don't always get it right. But because people are willing to help us, like Miss Opperman over here was really willing to help me, that made me better. And I'm not always going to be really good at tying my shoes, but do you think if I keep practicing, I'll get better? Mm -hmm. Do you think if I ask my mommy and daddy to help me that I could get better? Do you think Pastor Joel knows how to tie his shoes? Do you think Miss Tori knows how to tie her shoes? Could they help me too? Could they help you? But are you going to keep practicing? Well, you you might be a little small yet. But eventually, when we all learn to tie our shoes, it's a lot like trying to be a good Christian. It takes time, and it takes practice. Oh, yeah. But, you know, if you keep practicing riding your bike, are you going to get better like I can at tying my shoes? All right, but I bet if if you keep practicing, you'll get better, right? Okay. Reagan's going to teach. It's cool. All right. <laughs> all right. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Thank you. Dear Lord, thank you for all of our little ones. Please keep us safe and healthy and help us to keep trying. Being a Christian is really, really hard. And there are things we're supposed to do and things we're not supposed to do. And it takes us a long time to learn how to get better at doing this thing called life. Would you help us one step at a time and teach us to help each other? Amen. Thanks, guys. (sighs) (laughs) Thank you, Nikki, for that great lesson for all of us, too. You know, it's amazing how... How, you know, these children's chat leaders prepare lessons for the kids, and so often they are lessons that we need to hear as well, you know. So thank you for that encouragement, and, and I pray, Lord, that we will be able to receive that as well. It's so important to be encouraging each other and to help each other out as we go through this life. With that in mind, we have a lot of needs and concerns that are listed in your bulletin, lots of people there that are, are in need of our prayers and our support. Um, so one of the ways that we can practically help each other is by lifting each other up in prayer and encouraging each other in that way. So let's go to the Lord and do that at this time. Father, thank you. 
that you are a God who cares and a God who loves, and you've placed us in community with one another uh, in order to support each other and to encourage each other and to help each other through this life. Uh, it's not always easy, as Nikki just shared with the kids. There's things that we need help with. And so thank you that you've put us alongside other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ to help us to become better, better people, better followers of, of your son. Uh, and Lord, one of the ways that we can help each other is by lifting each other up in prayer. And so that's what we would, that's what we're doing right now. We're looking at these names that we see listed in our bulletin. Some of them have been there for a while. Some of them are new names. Uh, but Lord, they're all in need of help. They're all in need of, of our support, our responsibility of lifting each other up in prayer. Uh, the book of James talks about how we should, how we should pray for the healing of those around us. And so that's what we're doing right now. Uh, over and over in Scripture, Lord, uh, we see that, you, that as people call on your name, as people cry out to you, you hear them because you're a loving and compassionate God. I'm reminded of uh, the Exodus story as God's people were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and, and over and over again they were being oppressed and put down. And they called out on your name. They called on you, Lord, and you heard them and you were compassionate towards them. And you rescued them from that slavery. And so I pray, Lord, as we call on your name now, as we, as we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer, that you would hear us and you would have compassion on us, uh, just as you have so many times throughout history and in our own lives. And so I pray that your compassion would reach out um, in a real and tangible way. Those who are in need of healing, I pray, would be healed. Those who are in need of other support uh, in other ways, Lord, I pray that you would meet their needs as well. Uh, Lord, you are a loving and compassionate God and, and a father to us all, and we are so grateful for your love for us. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you. Uh, we, we give you the glory and the honor for answered prayer. Lord, even though it's not always the way we expect or want, uh, we trust that you are, that your will is what's best for us in, in each of these situations. Help us to have that kind of trust in you. Help us to, to know, Lord, uh, that, your, that your will and being in your will is what's best for us. Lord, we lift up all these things in your precious name and pray them as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. For those helping with uh, the offering, please come forward at this time. Uh, the offering today is to, to support Wayne Lunsford, who is with Wycliffe Bible Translators, a great ministry that's reaching out to, to people all around the world with God's Word. A great ministry for us to support today. We're glad to have the bells ringing this morning for the first time this fall as well.
seated. I'm out of breath. That's a lot of steps. This morning's scripture reading comes from Philippians in the second chapter, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Thank you, Clinton. Let's stand and sing together number 284. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Before we jump into the text here, I just want to uh, just throw an idea out there, and I don't know how many of you would like to go along with this, but after uh, being up Friday and Saturday night at the confirmation retreat with all those middle schoolers and being a little sleep deprived, uh, I thought maybe we could just have nap time here instead of a sermon. Would that be okay with you guys? A little tired this morning, but it was a great weekend. We really had a great time, and um, I saw many of the confirmation students here again this morning, so we didn't scare them away either, which is a good thing. So uh, we had a great time uh, and really enjoyed it and a great uh, opportunity to not just 
teach the kids more as we as we go through the confirmation materials, but also just to get to know them a little bit better. You know, hour and a half on Wednesday nights for me is great, you know, uh, but being new here and not having uh, had these kids grow up with me like some of you had, uh, it's a, it was a great opportunity to, to get to know them even better and just see them. And they're wonderful kids. Thank you uh, to the parents for, for letting us borrow them for, for about 24 hours there. And uh, we really enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully we we learned a few things too as along the way. So, uh, so part of me, if I doze off here as I'm preaching, hopefully you guys won't doze off either. But uh, I think we'll get through this and, and enjoy uh, again, not just enjoy it, but learn something here as well. Uh, this passage uh, is is kind of an interesting one, stuck right here in the middle of the book of Philippians. We're about at the halfway point uh, through our uh, of our journey through this book, and and Paul takes a break from from pretty. I'd say theologically rich uh, passages, some of the ones that we've been studying lately, uh, talking about our, our need for unity um, and humility uh, and obedience, uh, the example that Jesus Christ himself set for us through his life and death and resurrection, some pretty theologically rich, as I said, passages. And then all of a sudden, Paul kind of takes a break from those things and talks about his travel plans and the travel plans of his associates. Uh, that's not uncommon for Paul to do in a letter like this, but usually that comes at the end. It's kind of the wrapping up remarks of his letter. By the way, I plan to go here. I'm going to send Timothy or Epaphroditus or, or Titus or one of these other uh, ministers in the gospel. They're going to be along later. Uh, that's common language and common things for Paul to do. But it's kind of strange that he stuck it right in the middle of the letter in this case. That's, that's the unusual thing about this passage. And I think there's good reason why Paul put that here. Uh, in knowing the form of letter, knowing how letters usually go, help us to see that there's something different here. Because we know from his other letters that he usually puts those things at the end, we see because he broke tradition, he broke form, there must be a reason for it. You know, Paul did things a normal way. He was used to doing things a certain way. And so when he did something different, it should be an indication and clue to us that something else is going on here. And I believe the reason that that Paul puts this passage here is to, to show us some examples of the things that he'd been talking about, talking about things like humility and unity and obedience. He takes a break from more of his more theological conversation to point out a couple people that are living out those very things. It's easy to sometimes just skip over passages like this that seem irrelevant. Uh, you know, why does it matter to us 2,000 years later who went where and when, right? Why does it matter to us 2,000 years later that Timothy was going to be delayed, yet Paul was going to send Epaphroditus back right away? Uh, it doesn't seem very important to us, so it can be a temptation to just skip over passages like that. But as we saw with the opening of the book of Philippians and Paul's kind of standard greeting, if we skip over passages, we're missing out. You know, if we just kind of skim over and move on to what seem like more important passages, we're, we're, we're missing points. The reason it's included here is because I believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, right? It's all inspired by God, and it's useful for, for teaching. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. In fact, a letter that Paul himself wrote to this Timothy uh, to, to instruct him on how to lead and, and be, a, be a minister and, and really a pastor to the churches that Paul set him in charge of. And in doing that, in writing this letter of instruction, Paul told Timothy, chapter 3, beginning with verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that includes passages like, Timothy and Epaphroditus' travel plans and those sorts of things, which seems strange to us, but I do believe that it's important that we pause for a second and, and, and take a look and, and we can learn something from this passage. As I said, I believe that Paul put these words here, these, these comments about Timothy and Epaphroditus, because he's giving us godly examples of exactly what he had just been talking about. He just finished encouraging the Philippians toward unity, humility, and obedience. And he now uses these two men to demonstrate what these qualities look like in real life. Right? It's one thing to talk about, talk about things in the abstract, right? Oh, of course we should all be united. We should all have humility, right? We should all obey God and His Word. But when we talk about them in, in kind of abstract terms and lofty terms, we can forget what that looks like in real life. 
We forget what it looks like for someone to actually have humility, to actually be united with his brothers and sisters in Christ, to actually be obedient to God's word. And so Paul took a moment to to point out two examples of what that really looks like, the actual, you know, practical application of what Paul had been talking about. And so he so he describes Timothy and then he goes on to describe Epaphroditus. And just want to take a moment to look at the qualities that that Paul attributes to them, the kind of things that he, he commends them for, and how that compares to what Paul had just been talking about in the previous verses. So beginning with Timothy, that's the, the first person that, that Paul mentions here. Uh, he, gives, he gives Timothy three commendations in a sense. Now I mentioned that Timothy was one of uh, Paul's fellow pastors, fellow co-workers. He was a young man uh, that Paul had, had uh, ministered to and that often... Com- went along with Paul on his missionary journeys. And eventually Paul would have, you know, would send him to different cities and different churches in order to lead and instruct them. And that's where we get First uh, and Second Timothy, for example. Uh, Titus was another one of these people. Uh, and we have a letter that Paul wrote to Titus as well to instruct him in similar manners. These are fellow co-workers, fellow laborers in God's missionary field uh, with Paul. So, so that's who, in a, that, in a nutshell, who Timothy was. And so Paul gives, gives the Philippians these, uh, these words about Timothy. First of all, he understands what it means to be united in spirit with other believers. We see that in verse 20. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Right? Not fake concern, right? Not just, you know, superficially caring for someone like we sometimes do, but genuine concern. Timothy was someone who was, who actually cared for and actually would demonstrate that concern to the Philippian church and to others. You know, that's an important thing. You know, we can often overlook that. We, we often think that, that concern is just simply that, oh, I'll pray for you. I'm so sorry you're going through this thing. And then we kind of go off on our, in our, in our own direction and forget, right? We, we don't give it another thought. That's not genuine concern. And we've all done it. I've done it before. You know, we offer to, we, we say, I'll pray for you. And then we, as soon as we leave that conversation, we forget about it and we go on our way. And, and, and that's not really, I would say, genuine concern. But Timothy is someone who is able to show genuine concern. And Paul probably knew that from his own experience as well. Right. The reason that Paul is delaying Timothy's arrival in Philippi was because Paul himself, remember, was in jail and going through hardship. So he was Timothy was able to come alongside Paul and help him during that difficult time. He's able to show genuine concern to Paul, and so therefore he knew that he would be able to show that same kind of genuine concern to others. And Paul also said there's no one else like him. In other words, he was not, not that nobody else could possibly show genuine concern. Of course, there's other, other people who are able to do that. Paul had a lot of co-workers, as I mentioned. But Timothy was was, in a sense, Paul's most trusted companion. He was the one that Paul would often send on, on the important missions, in another, for lack of a better term. So Timothy was, was, was genuinely concerned for Paul and for the Philippians. And one of the ways that he demonstrated that was that he put the interest of Jesus Christ ahead of his own. That's a very important thing to, for someone to say about somebody else, right? That, that they put the interest of Jesus Christ ahead of their own. We can't always say that about ourselves, can we? A lot of times we put our own interests ahead of the interests of Jesus Christ. In our sinfulness, you know, we, we, we choose ourselves above what God desires for us. And I'm not pointing fingers here because it's something that we all do, right? We all succumb to that from time to time. But Timothy was able, or excuse me, Paul was able to point to Timothy and say, this is someone who is able to do that. He puts the interests of Jesus Christ ahead of his own. And that's why Timothy went along with Paul. Right, Paul, he, Timothy went along on these missionary journeys. He went to these different cities and these different churches because he was putting the will of God ahead of his own. Right, that time, you know, it wasn't easy. They faced a lot of hardships. Paul found, finds himself in jail because of their mission, and yet Timothy was right along his right alongside him. Timothy was able to put the interests of Jesus Christ ahead of his own. And finally, he was also faithful in his ministry. Paul compares him to a son. As a son is faithful to his father, Timothy was faithful to Paul and to, to God in their ministry. He proved himself over and over again. He'd been through a lot. 
and his faith and his ministry had proved genuine. You know, I think of uh, a precious metal, right? The way that that silver or gold or, or another precious metal is refined is by going through the fire, right? By, by putting it through the flame, by heating it up, all of the impurities, all of the junk that's, that's messing up that precious metal is burned away and it's gone. And the result is a pure, valuable piece of metal. In the same way, in a sense, Paul is saying Timothy has proved his worth, right? He has, he has been through that fire. He has been through the trials. And he's come out the other side proven faithful, proven genuine in his, in his ministry. And so that's why Timothy was one of Paul's faithful companions and, and one of his most uh, trusted companions. And Paul says that, that despite the fact that they expected Timothy to, to come to them soon, Paul's going to hold Hold on to Timothy, right? Instead of sending Timothy, he's going to send Epaphroditus. And he goes on to talk about who Epaphroditus is. We see from Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, that Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church in order to comfort and minister to Paul. The Philippians had heard about Paul's hardship, and so they sent Epaphroditus there to care for him and to bring him a gift. In the closing verses of this very same letter, he says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Once again, it's chapter 4, verse 18. So we get a clue there that, that Epaphroditus was one of probably a leader in this church that they sent in order to care for Paul and to bring him the gift and the offering uh, that they were, were making to him. And so Paul uh, excuse me, Epaphroditus, during this mission, became deathly ill and was concerned that the Philippians were worried about him. Uh, we see Paul describe his illness. Uh, indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And so it doesn't describe what happened. You know, we can speculate and guess what happened to Epaphroditus, but but that's not really the point here. The point is that that during the course of this this ministry, during the course of him bringing this gift to Paul, he became sick. Something happened to him, and he even came close to death. And so instead of, instead of Paul asking him to remain there, instead of asking him to, to stay with him even longer, he's sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians because they were worried about him. And Paul thinks a lot of him. He uses some pretty strong words to describe Epaphroditus. And so he must have thought highly of him just like he thought of Timothy. He calls him a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger. All this adds up to show that Epaphroditus is returning with Paul's blessing. You know, he's not abandoning his mission. That was probably a, a concern that Epaphroditus had, that, that showing back up at the, at the Philippian church so early, uh, they probably would have thought that he was not being faithful, that he was not doing what God desired of him. But Paul is making it abundantly clear that he's not abandoning anything. He's returning with Paul's blessing. It was compassion that dictated that he be released from his mission and return home. Right? The compassion that Epaphroditus had for his brothers and sisters in Philippi and the compassion that the Philippian church had for him, it just made sense for him to return back home. And so the people in Philippi were probably expecting Timothy and not Epaphroditus. And so Paul is, is letting them know here why the situation has changed. And it brings up a point, too. I think that we need to remember that, that we can often make plans. We can expect things to go a certain way. You know, as pastor here, you know, I, you know, I have a vision. I have a, I have a dream of what this church can look like and what this community can look like. But I have to understand that, that things may change. Right? Our plans are not set in stone. We need to be willing to allow God to work in and through those plans and not think that my way is the only way that things can be done. Paul makes a, and, and I, Paul makes a comment here when he was talking about Timothy that can be easy to miss. He talked about how he hopes in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Then later, again, in verse 24, he says, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. In other words, Paul had a plan, right? He, he, he envisioned how a certain way that things would work out. But he had to recognize that, that all of our plans, all of, the, all of our expectations are subject to God and his working in our life. And we need to be open and willing to allow God to work in and through the plans we make for ourselves. 
right? And so we may expect things to go a certain way. We may have certain expectations of how this life will go, right? Whether it's we're talking about this church or your own family or your job. But we need to always be saying that, yeah, we expect things to happen this way, but we need to be willing to allow God to work in and through those circumstances. And it may not always turn out the way that we expect it to. And so we need to have the confidence, like Paul, to say, in the Lord, right? He was giving his plans, he was giving his, himself over to the Lord and allowing him to work in and through that. I mentioned before that, that Timothy and Epaphroditus here are being set up as examples for the Philippians to follow. And it really it comes out of everything that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And we see this uh, in three different ways for each of them. And Timothy, uh, he's, he's described as, as being one who is united in spirit with others. And we see this in chapter 2, verse 4. Or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 2. Paul encouraged the Philippians to make his joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. And so here we see Timothy described as someone who is living that out in his own life. He's an example for them to follow in that way. We already talked about how he puts Christ's interests ahead of his own. In chapter 2, verse 4, Paul encouraged the Philippians not to look to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. So again, Timothy is an example of what that looks like practically lived out for them to see. And in chapter 2, verse 7, this is part of that, that hymn to Christ. Jesus described as, as he, uh, making himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And Timothy himself in verse 22 is described uh, as one who served with Paul in the work of the gospel. Right? He, had, he had put Christ's interest first and so therefore he was a servant to the Lord. You can see that in chapter 1 verse 1 where Paul describes him and Timothy as slaves to the gospel or servants of Jesus Christ. And so Timothy is living out several of these things that Paul had just encouraged the Philippian church to do. And the same with Epaphroditus. He was a servant to Paul as Paul was in need, right? He was bringing help and bringing a gift to Paul in order to help him during his difficult times. And we see the same thing as with Timothy. We're called to be servants and putting others' interests ahead of our own. Uh, Epaphroditus himself had a near-death experience, right? In the course of his missionary work, in the course of carrying out God's mission, he became ill almost to the point of death. And that echoes what Christ went through himself, right? Christ became obedient even to death on the cross. Epaphroditus himself had a glimpse, had a little understanding of what that meant in his own life. And, and carrying out God's will, he almost died himself. But thankfully, he did not die. And, he was, and Paul encourages them to receive him back with joy and honor, to honor people like him. And that we see echoes of Christ himself. After his death, he was raised again from the dead. And we see this wonderful description of what, what one day we will all see a glimpse of his glory. Verse, beginning verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus himself was exalted and given honor. And Paul is saying that we should do the same for those who are faithfully serving alongside Christ and with, or excuse me, alongside uh, Paul and serving like Christ in that way. Paul himself is even an example. He put the well-being of Epaphroditus ahead of his own, right? Epaphroditus was sent to assist Paul during his hardship, and he could have used that assistance. He was still in jail, right? He's writing this letter from his jail cell. But yet he, was, he knew that it was better for him to return home, and so he sent him with this letter. And we can see in all three of them, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul, that they were able to demonstrate how to remain faithful amid hardship, which is a major theme that we see happening in the book of Philippians. You know, the joy that they experienced right, was not without grief. Paul talks about how he would have experienced sorrow upon sorrow if Epaphrodites had not survived uh, his illness. So when we talk about being joyful in the Lord, which has come up several times in this book, when we talk about the joy that Paul has as he ministers in the gospel, it's not a, it's not, 
uh, it's not some sort of superficial happiness that ignores painful realities of life. Right? As, as, his, as his fellow co-worker fell ill, as he himself, Paul himself was in jail, right? he was able to still be joyful despite those hardships. The joy that Paul talks about, the joy that Paul is trying to get us to understand is a mature understanding of God's ability to make his purposes prosper amid human pain. Which means that we don't ignore the reality of hardship. We don't ignore the reality of pain in our lives. It means that we recognize that God is able to work even amid that pain. That we can grieve, we can have sorrow, we can experience these hardships and suffering, but we do it not as people without hope, but as people who hope in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 talks about that kind of hope. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He's saying don't grieve at all. He's saying we, don't, we just don't grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope. We have hope in the Lord. And Paul himself kind of sets that example for us in this passage. What we see here through, through the example of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus is that Paul worked his theology out as, as a pastor, right? His theology was not separated from the lives and the reality of, of his, his parishioner's experience. He understood that, that as, as high and lofty as theology can get sometimes, it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's worthless if it's separated from the everyday lives and everyday actions of real Christ followers. It can be really easy to get lost in this sense of, of, of theology, of, of trying to understand God and, and what it means to follow him if we don't keep it united with what it means to follow Christ each and every day. Beliefs cannot be separated from the practical application that they have in our lives. James, the half-brother of Jesus, understood this. He wrote in his, in his letter in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You see, it's important for us to not separate our actions and how we live our lives from our belief. It can be really easy to fall into that trap. We come to church on Sunday mornings, right? We go to confirmation on Wednesday nights. We are a part of a Bible study. And it can be really easy to allow those, those things that we study to just be head knowledge. It just kind of becomes this lofty ideal but if it's separated, if, if that's all it is, if it's just head knowledge, if our theology is just good for the classroom, it's not worth anything. We need our theology, we need our belief, we need our faith to work itself out in the everyday experience of our lives. That's why James says that faith without deeds is dead. If it's just a matter of intellect, if it's just a matter of, of what we believe, if it's not being lived out, like it is with Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul, then it's worthless. There's no point to it. There's a whole lot of other things that we could be doing on a Sunday morning <laughs> besides getting up and coming here if it doesn't mean anything to us in our, in our actual lives. Does that, does that make sense? 
So it's important for us to see examples of how this lives out and how, what it actually means to have unity, to have humility, to have obedience. And that's why Paul was, was putting Timothy and Epaphroditus out there as examples for the Philippian church and examples for us as well. It all goes back to the, that main theme verse that, that we've, I've gone back to over and over again. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct means not just belief, but action and how we live our lives. We should model our lives after the life of Jesus Christ. And so we need to live our faith out through our actions. Live it out in, in, in our everyday experience, just as Timothy and Epaphroditus were doing. Conduct indicates a way of life, not just a belief system. I planned on reading a, a big chunk of scripture here for you, but I don't think I'm going to have the time to get through it. But I encourage you to take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, that whole chapter. Uh, it's often called the, the Hall of Faith or the, the Heroes of the Faith. The author of Hebrews begins to talk about faith, and then he goes from creation all the way through uh, you know, his present day, describing people and the faith that they had. And we'll see it in the way that they lived their lives. Their faith didn't just stay in their head, right? It wasn't just a head knowledge, but they lived it out. And it was through their actions that their faith was demonstrated. And that's what he is commending them for. And the, the thing that they all have in common is it was their faith in God. It was their belief in him that led to a trust. Faith is an active trust in God. It's not just belief. It's not just head knowledge, but it's active trust in the Lord. And they allowed that faith to play itself out in everyday life. My favorite example, I think the best example we can see of that from the Old Testament is King David. We actually spent a lot of time this week talking about him at the confirmation retreat. The reason why King David is, is my favorite example of this is because he lived his faith out, right? He did extraordinary things. And we often remember him for those big moments in his life, right? Defeating Goliath when he was just a boy, right? Uniting Israel as the first great king of Israel, right? Saul had kind of paved the way, but it was under King David that, that is the, the people finally came together as one. But the thing about David is that he wasn't perfect either, right? He made mistakes and some pretty serious ones too. And the reason why I think King David is such a great example of what it means to live out our faith in real and practical ways is because we realize that God uses imperfect people all the time. Like King David, we all have sin in our lives. We've all done things that, are, that have fallen short of God's glory. And if we allow ourselves to be limited by that, then, then, we can, then God's never going to... If we think God only uses perfect people, we're going to miss out on what God has for us. But just like King David, we can faithfully live out our trust in God. We can, we can do great things by God working in and through us. If we allow God to work in us in that way, if we allow uh, our faith to be lived out in real and practical ways. And so in closing, I want to encourage you uh, to think of people in your life who are examples, like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Who is someone in your life that you can look up to and say, I want to be a little bit more like that. Right? That's what Paul is doing in this passage. He's setting them up as examples for us to follow. And so think of someone in your life. Who is someone that you can look up to and say, you know, they, they've got this whole living for Jesus thing down a little bit, pretty well. Not perfectly, because again, none of us are perfect. But who is someone in your life that you could look to and follow their example? And talk with them. You know, see how, see how, they're, how they're living that out. But the other, the other side of that coin is people may be looking to you too. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee that people are. And that can be an intimidating and scary thing. But it's also what, what a great opportunity that is to be an example for others. Right? Paul and Timothy had this kind of mentor-mentee relationship. Right? And, and I've heard it said before that we should all have a Paul. We should all have that mentor that we are looking to. Right? It doesn't have to be some official thing like confirmation, right? Confirmation has mentors. It doesn't have to be an official thing like that. But we should all have people that we're looking to, that we're following their example, that, that help us to become better followers of Christ. But we also should each have a Timothy, someone that we are 
guiding, someone that we're setting an example for. I'm not talking here just about age and things like that, but maturity in Christ. How can we become more mature disciples? And it often happens by encouraging each other and setting the example for each other. And so who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? How can you be an example of what it means to follow Christ for those around you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for an opportunity to to take a time out, Lord, uh, from some of the maybe loftier theology that Paul gets through in this book of Philippians. But what an important reminder that you've placed people in our lives to be examples for us. Help us to look to those people of what it means to truly follow you. Help us to also be an example for others of what it means to follow you faithfully. Lord, it's so important that we encourage each other and lift each other up because because none of us are perfect and we often can get discouraged. But Lord, help us to be encouraged by those that you've placed around us and help us to be an example of what it means to truly love and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In closing, let's stand and let's sing number 372, Living for Jesus, number 372.
now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.